Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Fulta in the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast about medicine and agriculture, where we really focus on the technologies of biotechnology and ways that it can help people and help the planet, usually. <laughs> so today's podcast is a little bit different in that it's really just an add-on to episode 112, where I interviewed Karen Corrigan from McGillicuddy Corrigan Agronomy. After I was able to discuss with uh, Karen about the uh, effects of what was happening with off-target movement of dicamba, I had the opportunity to attend uh, the North Central Weed Science Society's conference and learned a lot more about this. And I also was able to present at the conference. And one of the areas I really wanted to discuss was, how does this look from the outside? You have a tremendous number of dedicated professionals who are studying this problem in academia, so extension agents and uh, extension specialists, uh, faculty at uh, major land-grant universities that are weighing in on what they're seeing, and they're in a very difficult situation because there's they are experts, they're making observations, and this is all... Um, the whole situation is boiling down to tremendous numbers of lawsuits, uh, finger pointing, and uh, hostility. You've got farmers mad at a company, companies mad at farmers, uh, academics in the middle of all of it. So I wanted to provide some of my thoughts on this as I discussed at the conference because I think there's uh, some important edges for us to consider. And uh, Karen and I had a great discussion about what this situation was, but I think there's you know some other things I'd like to add to this to help us understand um, you know what this really is. <clears throat> so, dicamba, as we talked about before, is an auxin mimic. It's one of the benzyl type uh, uh, auxin derivatives, and they're auxin mimics, I should say. It looks like a plant hormone to the plant, and so the, the plant upon sensing this thinks that it's uh, sensing it's one of its natural hormones and so it starts to adjust its growth and physiology. The resistance is conferred by a uh, bacterial gene like with many different genetically engineered crops. So they genetically engineer in an enzyme called a monooxygenase that uh, converts dicamba to downstream products that are harmless and are degraded by the plant. So the dicamba is acting as a hormone. The plants are engineered with this enzyme that can degrade it. The problem is, is that there's volatilization and drift. So drift is when you spray and the, the overspray or aerial, uh, the stuff that aerosolizes, or not aerosol, yeah, aerosolizes. It, it goes up into like a plume near your sprayer, and that may drift onto the next farm or downstream onto your own crops. And that can cause problems to plants that are sensitive to auxins. The big problem that we're seeing in dicamba is an issue of volatilization. And what this means is that it, it, it's like opening a jar of perfume where all of a sudden the air is 
uh, filled with the molecules from within the jar. Volatilization of dicamba happens upon application, and it happens depending upon a couple different things. <clears throat> the type of ions that it's mixed with, the formulation, the salt that's in with it, the pH of the solution. Um, all of these factors play a role. And going back into the 1960s, different companies have experimented with different formulations. Or, is that right? Yeah, formulations. <laughs> Still sounds weird. Different formulae <laughs> on um, how to keep that volatilization from occurring. And it was using different counter ions, so sodium or whatever, and by changing the pH. And the companies now believe they're getting closer to sorting this out with something they call vapor grip technology by putting in different other compounds to keep this from volatilizing. One of the major problems may have been uh, from tank mixing. So in other words, that if you uh, spray before and your tank isn't really clean, you can... Uh, and you have some uh, ammonium sulfate around, that can also cause enhanced volatilization even with small amounts. And so you see how this is shaping up. You've got a product that's made by three different companies to be used on seeds that are made by one company and, um, and, uh, far and farmers who are applying these according to label directions. Um, so but because there has been uh, maybe some examples of tank mix issues you can see how everybody wants to blame everybody else companies saying that it wasn't applied right uh, people saying the formulization <laughs> the, the the formulae <laughs> were not properly tested and evaluated and the conditions defined for application good enough in order to use this and this is how I'm seeing this shape up so everybody is unhappy, and there's lots of damage that's happening. We're talking, uh, you know, an awful lot of acreage, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me. The number I do know that I saw really surprised from the conference was that dicamba can cause problems, or symptoms, I should say, not necessarily problems, but visible symptoms at one twenty thousandth of its application rate. So you don't need much in order to cause a problem um, on some plants, or at least I should say, invoke symptoms. It's hard to say if the symptoms cause a yield loss. Now, it seems like they could. I mean, certainly if you have fewer flowers, and flowers are flowering is always controlled by auxin, or is, is that, is at least in part is influenced by auxin levels, uh, pollination, um, successful seed set, all those things, um, seed size, all those things are auxin dependent. In, in one way or another. You know, all the plant hormones are interconnected. It's hard to upset one without seeing some sort of compensatory effect elsewhere. So the bottom line on all of this is it's very difficult to know exactly what the uh, extent of damage was. It was extreme that there were symptoms in so many places. There are a lot of claims of extreme damage and um, a lot of harm to farmers and companies that are culpable in, in lots of ways. Um, and this is what we're, we're looking at a perfect storm of a really bad situation. The reason it has a lot of collateral problems is because the answers of or what's actually happening, it's not really clear. All we read about online are, you know, grower harm, uh, companies pointing fingers at each other, uh, legal action being taken. This is all we see. 
So even as a scientist who's close to this, at least you know in terms of understanding technology, I don't know the agronomy parts. I mean, I live in Florida where we don't use these crops per se. I mean, we, everything here is mostly horticultural crops that are not genetically engineered and certainly limited use of dicamba. The um, topic is really hard to understand even as a scientist who understands the technology. So looking for good information and wondering who to trust, wondering what to trust when you read it. Certainly we know what happened with glyphosate where misinformation has really um, been the preponderance of evidence you can find online. And anybody learning about the glyphosate situation would probably have a very poor impression of what that compound is and how it works and what are the relative risks. So the conversation that we're seeing on dicamba also has some very non-scientific edges. And uh, that's important for us to consider. The good scientific information is coming from uh, faculty at land-grant universities who have excellent websites, um, University of Missouri, University of Arkansas, University of Illinois, Purdue University are just a couple of the websites and uh, faculty uh, or you know departments that have faculty looking at this problem. The big issue is that most of the faculty uh, are in a funny spot. As experts, they may be subject to uh, you know their data um, will likely draw fire from somebody, right? Whether it's the farmers or the companies, you're right in the middle. And your job is to serve both as, a, as an academic scientist at a land grant. So here you are in a very strong predicament. Um, yet, and we'll talk about that in a minute, I mean, why that matters. It's pretty important. The bottom line is, is that, well, let's talk about that first. You know, th these are the folks who are the brokers of the, the honest information. And if they don't have a, I hate the term, they don't have a dog in the fight, you know, it's you know, insert Michael Vick joke here, right? They don't have an interest in seeing it work one way or the other. They just have an interest in seeing what works for farmers and understanding the relative risks of any technology. That's what we do. That's our job. And to communicate that. The problem is, is that they're drawing um, a lot of criticism. Uh, even when I mentioned this online and put the podcast online, I got angry tweets and emails saying, you know, like giving me a hard time about the way that I was communicating simply what I knew and what I discovered in, in, in this topic. Um, really hostile. And I understand people have been injured. You know, I mean, their, their crops have been injured. They've suffered losses that are probably not insurable um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, but there's so much hostility around this. That is part of the big problem. When you start to see a situation where there's fear, uncertainty, and doubt, this opens up the door for the activists to really grab a big score. The folks who want to end genetic engineering, the people who want to end the use of any kind of inputs on farms, whether it's herbicides, uh, fertilizers, whatever, uh, insecticides, there's people out there, there's organizations out there that desperately want to end it. And, you know, I don't know. They, figure out they think they can feed themselves and you know you know the drill the problem is on a couple different levels one is that when this happens this kind of uh, situation 
it's going to bring a couple of problems. One is this uh, idea of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which really is red meat to activists. Um, that's a real, they're, they're loving the fact that everybody's mad at companies, companies are mad at companies, and farmers are mad at companies, and academics are, are uh, being uh, trashed by others. You know, this is where they, this is their sweet spot, right? Um, the other big problem that we're going to see is that you're going to see new, really overreaching, onerous regulation on registration of new herbicides and insecticides and everything based on this. And that is not what we need right now. We need better improvement of chemical controls, not um, more hoops to jump through in order to identify compounds that can help farmers farm profitably. It really is going to slow the deployment of new chemistries. It's going to further coalesce the development of these new compounds among a smaller number of companies because uh, they're the ones who have the money to be able to get through these regulatory issues and, and experts to get through regulatory issues. Um, the ones who are willing to absorb the potential liabilities of releasing a product that may cause some harm. Um, you know, I mean, these are herbicides. They kill plants. So, uh, so the big companies are, are, are it's, this is only going to increase the problems that many believe are there. The other big issue here is that you're going to see um, the uh, continued uh, discussion and derision around herbicides, and this fuels this, this anti uh, chemical, you know, chemophobia, with a very legitimate complaint, by the way. I mean, this clearly is causing symptoms in crops, clearly causing crop damage. So here's a case where uh, folks who are against the technology can say, you see what happened? This is why this technology is not good. The seeds were engineered to resist this herbicide. We used this herbicide and look at what it did. This is exactly what they wanted. And um, we have to be very careful in how we communicate this and how we rise to solve the problem. The other big problem here is that it, it, it fits perfectly with their narrative that we never know about the consequences. Look at the unintended consequences. The companies told us this technology was safe and that this technology would work perfectly. And look what happened. Perfect. I mean, you see how this can be a um, a rallying cry for more people not to say, if this is happening with dicamba, what's happening with glyphosate and your children, right? And there's enough misinformation out there to really reinforce that. So you can understand how this is a, a really bad situation. And on top of that, um, there's not a lot of firm information outside of you know good extension websites at some of the land grants that um, gives a lot of great information about this and and so it, it's further making interpretation very difficult that's why i hope the podcast is helpful the big fear for me is is that this situation by having a problem with dicamba in arkansas is going to mean that those bananas for uganda don't get to the people who need them. It's going to keep golden rice locked up longer. It's going to be used as a way to stop these technologies from reaching people who need them 
And that will happen if this isn't dealt with in the proper way. And so how does that happen? What do we have to do? I think that the biggest issues really do have to happen at the university level. And being a university guy and someone who works uh, with extension, you know, in our department, and uh, where we have a very strong extension presence at, at my university, how do we empower those objective individuals, those extension agents, the extension faculty, extension specialists in our departments, to ensure that they have uh, the freedom to operate, that the university has their back, that the university will encourage them to look into this and will defend them against uh, farmers who don't like what they find and against companies that don't like what they find and what they choose to report. Universities need to be especially careful with how they report the findings and be consistent with their messaging. And messaging which is really... um, uh, couldn't they can't easily be misinterpreted so that's another thing that i suggested the other day is you know get get universities to ensure their faculty that they are going to uh, back them up uh, and because this is this is where they are there's a lot of frustration i sensed with some of the faculty who are working in this area the big thing is is better communication and this is some place where many of us can step into this and we have to remember, you know, like with neonics, we have to remember how uh, complete denial of a problem and uh, where, oh, it's not even feasible this could happen uh, is a total red flag to anybody who has, um, who can think through this. These are herbicides. Herbicides kill plants. And just the situation you're spraying here you see damage over there you don't know how it happened but i mean this is the smoking gun you know it's an herbicide it kills plants it causes symptoms on plants we know it volatilizes we know it can move in temperature inversions we know that this can happen so it's no big surprise the companies that generated the technology knew about this and talked about it for years before it was deployed. And they did take quite a few steps with new chemistries, new nozzles, uh, recommendations for wind speed and temperature, humidity, those kinds of things uh, were all taken into consideration to really mitigate the risk. But it still happened. Even though all of the possible steps were taken to make sure that there was a minimal chance of risk when you're doing lots of acres and you can't control the weather and funny things happen, um, certainly this is a problem and damage occurred. So there's room for improvement that's being investigated. The companies are reformulating again. Um, their people are rethinking the application times, the dates in which you can apply to because earlier in the season you have less likelihood of these inversions, certain areas didn't have so much of a problem, maybe because of humidity and other factors. But you see what's happening. This is science. We're doing the experiment, and we're understanding how to make this technology work. The biggest fear to me is is that we're going to lose a technology that can be used on the farm that farmers need. And that should be the number one priority don't lose the technology don't throw the baby out with the <laughs> bath water the bathtub you know don't throw the ba- don't throw the baby out ever i always hate that saying <laughs> insert michael vick joke right um 
Yeah, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, we need weed science organizations. We need uh, maybe the National Academy of Sciences, even AAAS, to take very firm stances on this and to say what this is and what this isn't. We need them to back up what independent agronomists, what independent faculty are saying. This needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. We need clear synthesis from trusted sources in places where the public can find it, where we can have a a better communication about what this is and what this isn't. And again, just because of the potential fallout of how this may affect registration of future compounds and deployment of future technologies, this, in my mind, could be what derails the entire discipline. We need to control the social media narrative. People need to be active in talking about what this is and what this isn't. Faculty at these institutions um, or postdocs, whoever you are, you know, if you're listening, make sure you understand your institutions and your state's public records laws. Because guess what? You're going to get them from farmers. You're going to get them from uh, the companies. You're going to get them from activists. You're going to get it from all sides. So know what the rules are. Understand what is allowable to delete. Understand what's allowed, what must be kept. Make sure your records are in order because guess what? It's coming. Um, university leadership, again, this is a lose-lose. We have to be able to protect the faculty that are um, involved in these processes and in, in these situations because they are the independent arbiters. This is their job to sort this kind of thing out. That all needs to happen. Other things that should happen, uh, the companies that make this stuff, you know, uh, there's three companies that, uh, that make the formulations. They need to step up on this and say, okay, we didn't get it right. We're going to fix the damages and we're going to go back to the drawing board and get this right. This is on them. And, uh, you know, Monsanto, Dow, and BASF make formulations of this. And some of the um, things that were shown at the, at the conference were rather surprising, that they put up uh, ads from the company saying that our formula doesn't drift or whatever it was. And um, if, if these companies think that they're going to continue to sell agricultural chemistry and accompanying seed technologies, they better it's in their it's in their interest to step up on this and say we're going to make this right we're going to fix this before we move it forward because they haven't had the public's trust they're starting maybe in some cases to develop it you know they certainly have it with scientists and farmers but why do they want to erode that now and i think that it's really important for them to step into this and just say we're going to take the hit and get it done. Uh, Maybe having a couple bad quarters of uh, stock price is worth a long-term gain and service to the people who are your best customers. So if I was if I was running the companies that's what I would do but (laughs) as which which if you read on the internet many people do say <laughs> uh, you know, I am on their uh, what was it? Their inner circle of advisors, right? Um, well, I guess this podcast would just be evidence to that because I'm giving them advice, but not that they'll ever listen, right? 
So that's really what should happen. And we need to be continually investigating new ways to stop these compounds from volatilizing. Maybe there's ways that they could be retweaked to become less volatile themselves, even in the absence of other compounds that would move along with them. There's um, ways maybe of refining the applications. There's all kinds of things that can be investigated here. And, uh, you know, and not just to be, you know, trashing the companies too. They've stepped into this and have um, done things like distributed um, nozzles that would be more amenable to minimizing volatilization and drift uh, for free. They've taken other steps to uh, remedy the application problem. And, um, you know, so, so they're, they're somewhat um, responsive or quite responsive to this. But I think the idea here is to look at this not as dicamba and dicamba injury to farmers. This is to look at here's a technology that had an unexpected consequence, well, sort of, at a magnitude that certainly was unanticipated. And here's how we're going to make it right. That should be the real message. So um, I hope that this extra episode was important, um, was helpful. Um, my heart goes out to the faculty that have to deal with this on a daily basis. Just to write that I was at the conference and then posted the podcast for, with Karen Corgan, um, you know, brought me all kinds of shit from a lot of people. Um, I was really surprised at that, and I can only imagine what the uh, faculty who work on this for, on a regular basis must experience. Uh, for the rest of us, back them up, understand who they are, and follow them, and uh, read what they write, and help them communicate and reinforce what they communicate uh, in ways that are scientific and um, supportive. So I'll stop there. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast, this special episode to further supplement episode 112, all about dicamba, and we'll follow up as more information is available. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.